Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So I'm going to read through this armour of God teaching that Paul gives to the church in Ephesus. Read from verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness in this evil world, spiritual forces in the heavenly places. For this reason, take up the full armour of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist and righteousness as armour on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all of the saints. So, so far, we have covered uh, the belt of truth. We talked about this kind of undergirding of righteousness and integrity, which holds our lives together. I used the illustration a couple of weeks ago that if you have a boat with Olympic rowers rowing in your boat, but you have holes in the boat, it doesn't matter how good the rowers are, if there are holes in the boat, it's going to sink. And integrity is like that. It doesn't matter how strong or capable we are, if we have holes in the bottom of our boat that are unplugged and unattended to, eventually we will sink. And then last week, Dave um, very creatively used Noah as his sort of uh, object lesson with his armour on to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And in fact, he brought out the part the the belt of truth would have been part of the armament to hold the breastplate on. I hadn't seen that in the text before, so that was a a really helpful insight. But third, today we're looking at having feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now I'm going to take a slightly different tack on this. The original interpretation of this that we all are familiar with is that this has to do primarily with being ready to take the gospel, kind of almost having feet ready and anticipating like a racer on uh, on an Olympic race, ready, poised to to go through whatever race he's involved in, maybe the 100-meter sprint or 400-meter hurdles or whatever, but just that sense of anticipation and preparedness and readiness to run. Now, I think there is an aspect of that to this, but if you start to dig into the text itself and read around, that certainly undersells all that Paul is trying to do with this illustration of having feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So while I am asserting that this is something of what Paul had in mind, something that he had in mind of readiness to go and share the gospel, take it to the nations and so forth, Paul is also saying that basically you need to have your feet planted and doing whatever the gospel requires of you to do. 
So the gospel is not simply a message to communicate, but it's an instruction of how we're to live our life, how we're to fight. It's the truth of God that we're to stand upon. So there is a sense in which we're to take the gospel forward, but it also is instructive in the way that we are to operate with our feet, whether we should stand, whether we should advance, whether we should uh, step back or whatever, in accordance with what the basis of the gospel message instructs us to do. So I'm just going to enlarge on that second aspect about how we manoeuvre our feet in line with the gospel as my kind of driving points to you today. And we're going to skip a little bit around in the Bible as well, because it's good to be au fait with other parts of the scripture which support this. Uh, and in fact, if you could turn to John 7, chapter, John chapter 7, verse 1, we'll have our next uh, verse here to help us. And my point that goes along with this verse is that sometimes the right strategy for the gospel is not to stand or to step forward, but to take a step back. My reasoning to you is twofold, one from experience and two from the scripture, that the thing God wants us to do isn't always to go and engage every fight that comes along our path. Now that may sound faithless, but if you've been around for a while, you know that there is a lot of truth in learning to pick your battles wisely through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you an illustration here from the life of Jesus. And we know that Jesus never backed out of a fight that he knew he needed to fight. But through the instruction and leading of the Holy Spirit, there were times when he knew that the fight was not right to take there and then. It was for later or for another time. And in John chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus travelled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea, because the Jews were trying to kill him. Because the Jews were trying to kill him. Now, when I read this verse, if it had been anybody other than Jesus, I would have thought, why don't they just trust the Lord to protect them and go to Judea if that's where they want to be? Why don't they position themselves in the conflict and just trust an angel to come alongside and protect them in that battle? It seems to be that Jesus wasn't living his life just engaging with every conflict when he thought there may be a wiser path just to step aside that or come around that and waiting for the right time to be in Judea. Because there were times that Jesus was in Judea. But there were also times through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he would get the instruction, not now, there's no point in stirring up conflict where we can get this job done another way. And in local church, if we carry that wisdom, our relationships will be sweeter, our community will be sweeter, because we won't contest every point of principle thinking we're doing God a favour by fighting battles that he's not called us to fight. And sometimes there is conflict in church in our own lives because we feel we have to march out and face everything that opposes us 
just because it opposes us. When the Holy Spirit could save us the trouble of the conflict if we would listen to the voice of God when he sometimes says, take a step back. It's not the same as retreat. It's stepping around a situation rather than blasting through it. And if we do that, we can preserve peace and avoid conflict for the right times. Now, there will come times when there is conflict. There are times when we just have to stand and we have to fight. But seemingly, Jesus recognized that wasn't every time. That there were times where heaven said, take a step back. And as we take a step back, we get to reflect. We get to consult. We get to talk to other people about have, and have their input. And sometimes we find that actually if we had gone forward on the understanding that we had, we might not have won that fight because we would have done it for the wrong reasons and took part in it in the wrong way. And there is a lot of wisdom about sort of just consolidating your position or stepping aside and then making sure that when you do confront, it's confrontation because God says now is the time and this is the way. Not because you've taken it upon yourself simply to advance. There's this story from the Middle Ages. It happened in 1325 in northern Italy. And it's called the Battle for the Bucket. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this before. Alan's looking at me like, what an earth history book have you been reading? It's a true historical story, Alan. Please be assured I've done my homework. Okay. So back in the Middle Ages, as it was in the UK, same in, in northern Italy, they kind of had territories, rather than a whole nation of Italy as such, there were territories, a feudal system, there were people who oversaw areas, there were regional uh, uh, leaders over areas of there. There wasn't like this kind of national centralised government. And the areas were Bologna and Moderna. And in these two fairly approximate towns, uh, there was a long-running history of conflict between the two towns. And seemingly, for some reason we don't know why, the people from Bologna stole this bucket from the well of the town of Moderna, and then they had it hung up on their wall of their town, almost as a, a kind of a sign like, meh, 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 we stole your bucket. Now, Moderna had an opportunity to say, okay, well, let's just roll with this one. They're being puerile and immature. We'll get another bucket. But oh no, their pride was too precious to them so they decided that they were going to go to war with Bologna. And in fact, they petitioned the Pope, Pope John XXII, for his opinion. And the Pope said, yes, go get your bucket back. <laughs> now, we laugh about it, but there was a battle involving tens of thousands of soldiers when you, were, when you, when you, when you count up the ones from both provinces. And 4,000 men died in a day over a bucket over a bucket but for the people of Moderna it was a point of principle you just can't come over here and start stealing buckets you know and the people of Bologna they were so immature were like well we are we're going to steal your bucket we're going to put it up on our wall and we're going to go <laughs> look you're going to have to get yourself a new bucket it was childish 
But the battle could have saved the lives of people if they had just chosen another way. And we as Christians have to recognize that our actions and our words have consequences. And so before we speak and before we act, we have to think, is there another way? Do I need to fight this battle at this time in this way? Or do I need to step back? And I think unless you have a clear yes, you need to step back. It's wise and godly to step back. And if Jesus can at times find another way, then we also need to learn to find another way. Okay, turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. So there is a time to step back or to step around, but there is, a some, there is sometimes a, a need just to stand still and to stand firm. Proverbs 31, verses 8 to 9, says we need to speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. Now, when I read that, I was reminded of the story of Rosa Parks during the growing race tensions in America. And she was asked under the race, racial segregation laws to give up her seat on the bus for a white person. The law demanded of her that she move, but she knew that proper ethics and morals meant that she ought to stay. And although there was a conflict that resulted because she didn't move, because she stayed, because she metaphorically stood, although she was physically seated, that was the right thing to do because there was a justice thing to say. It wasn't just a principle. There was an issue of justice and morality that was at stake. So actually standing, sitting and not moving is sometimes the right thing to do, even if there is a conflict at the cost of our decision to not budge from where we are. And sometimes it can come at a high cost as well. On the 28th of February this year, um, where, where are we now? What date is the day? 20, uh, 19th, 18th? 20th, okay. For those of you who know your church history, on the 28th of February in 155 AD, who died? Okay. Alan, I was waiting. That was your moment then. That was your moment. Okay. <laughs> 155 AD. I'm not saying you can remember it from, from you know, living memory. Um, a man called Polycarp died. Polycarp, one of the most famous martyrs in the history of the church. He was particularly famous because he was the last of the generation of Christians who knew the disciples firsthand. And Polycarp had been a disciple of John. So all of the apostles and the main disciples, they had all died out through persecution and through martyrdom. And Polycarp, who had known John and been discipled by John, he was now an old man. He was 86 years of age. But due to the policy of the Roman Empire, because they were unsettled and in many parts quite aggressively opposed to the existence of the church, they had begun to do a bit of a purge in areas of the Roman provinces by 
putting a choice before Christians that they could either burn a little bit of incense before an effigy of the uh, uh, statue of the emperor and say down with the atheists. Now, atheism in that day and age didn't mean have a belief in no God. It meant to not believe in the Roman gods. So that's what they meant by atheism. So Polycarp, an 86-year-old man, somebody who'd known John, had a great deal of significance in the community because of his previous sort of relationship with John. He was well-renowned. He was told by the leaders in his area to basically burn a little bit of incense to the Roman leaders, uh, to the Caesar, sorry, in particular, and to stay down with the atheists. And if he could just do that, he could crack on with his life. If he could just do that, just burn a little bit of incense, stay down with the atheists, they'd let him go. And he said this, he said, 86 years I have served my master Jesus, and he has never been bad to me. How dare I, even at this age, ever say something that would blaspheme him? And they said, don't you know that we have wild animals in a pit nearby that we could throw you into? And he says, well, bring them near and get this over and done with because I'm never changing my confession. And then, as the story goes, they chose not to throw him to the wild animals. They said, we're going to put you in fire. And he said, well, that be that as, as you wish, then you need to send me in. An 86-year-old man, three years older than my dad. This guy, you think, gosh, you know, just, he's not a threat to anybody, apart from himself. <laughs> and they threw him in fire, but the fire wouldn't kill him. And so they had to get the Roman centurions to drag him out of the fire and then put him through with the sword to finish him off. And he was martyred. And the Romans thought it was odd that this guy doesn't think that on the balance of what the right decision was, just by saying down with the atheists and by burning a little incense to a statue of the emperor, he could have saved himself all of that hassle. But he knew he needed to take a stand. He wasn't on the march and he didn't have any chance to avoid the conflict. He simply, as a point of honour to God, chose to not move from where he was. They were seeking him out. They were trying to bring him down and he chose to remain steadfast on his confession of Jesus. So there are times we need to speak up, there are times we need to stand and there are times we need to avoid. But finally, there are times still that we do need to march and advance. Now let's finish on Mark 16, verse 15. Yeah, Mark 16, verse 15. So Jesus talking to his disciples said, Then he said to them, Go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes, and if they should drink anything deadly it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will get well. The word of the Lord came to me as I read this. 
We limit the miraculous while we stay still and don't move forward. Now, let me give you an illustration from us here. If we got to a place where we were operating the gift of the supernatural miracles, healings and so forth, and everybody in the room was well, let's say, for argument's sake, there's 30 of us, we're all well. There's no demons to cast out, there's no sick bones to see recovered, everybody's in a good place in their minds, feeling centered and happy and loving Jesus. We could say, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the activity of the Holy Spirit, we're in a place where 35 people are doing well, operating to their full potential, physically, emotionally and spiritually. But as soon as we go out from here, we create margin for more miracles to happen because we're presented with more needs. So to the degree we go out, to the degree we create opportunity for the miraculous. If we don't go out, then we limit the miraculous because we've got no one who needs a miracle to go and offer one to, in Jesus' name. So if we would say, well, we're going to stand together as a church, we're going to just stand here and be together, well, that's fine at certain moments. But unless we go out, we limit the opportunities for God to do the miraculous because we're just operating in our own circle of influence. So to the degree we don't advance, to that same degree we limit an opportunity for God to do miracles because otherwise we don't come across people who need a miracle. And whether we like it or not, or we're uncomfortable with it or not, Jesus ties the miraculous to the proclamation of the gospel. There's a sense in which he is saying, I have given you the opportunity to drive out demons and to heal the sick, but I've given you that opportunity and that power and connected it with the proclamation of the gospel. So unless you're going out and proclaiming the gospel, then you're going to see less of these things because the two work together as flip sides of the same coin. So miracles and healings and signs and wonders, they're there to reinforce the, the truth of the gospel. And so unless we're proclaiming the gospel, then you know, we, we, we're, we're going to see less of the miraculous because Jesus has asked for the two to work together. So if we want to see the miraculous in church, we have to get out of church to go to people who need it. So, in closing, there are times that we need to have wisdom and step back or step aside and go around. We don't want any battles of the bucket in the local church. We don't want the cost of deaths of soldiers for the pride and principle of recovering our buckets. And there are times that we need to be a bit like a Rosa Parks or a Polycarp, where we need to stand or sit and just hold position for the principle of what God has said to us or revealed to us as a principle of his, of his truth. But also, there is a time to get up in advance, because you think back to the Second World War, there were, there were parts of the time in the Second World War where we had to just defend ourselves as a nation. But there was a part of that defence that had to come with an offensive manoeuvre that they knew the war wouldn't ultimately end unless they got troops in Berlin. You can defend your shores all you like, all you're going to do then is just wait for your enemy to get tired or run out of ammunition. There comes a point where you have to get troops on the shore and actually make a beeline for the epicentre of the problem and march your troops towards Berlin. There comes a point where you have to get up and march forward. 
Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in a stalemate where you're prolonging the conflict because you're not dealing with the causes of the conflict. So there's times to step around, times to step back, times to stand still, but there are also times to advance. I'm just going to pray now in closing. I don't know which of those is of particular help to you this morning. Maybe some of you feel a little bit of a witness in your spirit. Maybe I just need to hold back before I say or before I do. And for others, you might be feeling, well, actually, no, I just, rather than retreat, I need to actually just stand on this principle. I need to stay at this spot for, for, for defending the principle of the, of, the, of the ethics of the kingdom of God. And for others, it might be a rocket to you to say, come on, get out, open your mouth, get moving. Don't limit the miraculous through your inactivity. It's time to advance, to get up and to move forward. And so all of them are biblical. And as a soldier, tying us back into Paul's metaphor of the armour of God and a soldier, you know, soldiers knew to operate through, through command. Sometimes the general would say, Halt! Sometimes he would say, Go! And sometimes he would say, Step back! Because the general saw what the larger picture was of the battle. And he knows these soldiers that were fighting their little proxy battles around the battlefield, sometimes it was right to kind of marshal everybody back, get everybody to stand, or to get everybody to move forward. All of those were an element of warfare. All of them. But it was the command of the general to know what to do in any one moment. And so our success in our spiritual warfare comes as we listen to the command of Jesus as the general of the armies of God. He knows what to do. He knows when to do it. And he just waits for us to listen to heaven's call. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have us in the battle. That you haven't just simply kind of got on and done all the battle yourself and, and left us with nothing to do but to sit and watch. You have called us to participate in the battle for bringing the gospel and the kingdom of God into this earth. And I pray, God, for those who need to hear the message of step back or step aside or step around. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring a witness in the spirit of those who need to hear that today. For those who need to stand and not budge and just to, like Rosa Parks, not give an inch where the principle that is at stake is worse the conflict that will ensue. You will help us, Lord God, to not move and to not budge in those moments. But also when you do, Jesus, say, get up and move. Go forward. Advance. That we will not be shy or reluctant when the day the captain of the armies of God says, time to go. I pray, God, we go. And I pray, God, you just help us to apply those truths to every part of our lives so we can be effective soldiers for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.